And welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. We'll get to your phone calls in a little bit at 201-939-4513. You can also interact with us using hashtag Giants Chat. But as we do each and every Thursday, we'll give you a full preview of the upcoming opponent, so we'll delve into the Chicago Bears. We just got out of the locker room. We'll tell you what was said and also go over the injury report. And Paul, let's start with the injury report because that is always the talk of the town, especially with the Giants being plagued by injuries over the course of this season. So you have a number of players that were in concussion protocol stemming from the last game against the Jets. It's been quite some time, but everybody responds differently, of course, to the process. So in terms of the latest they feel optimistic about Sterling Shepard, Nate Solder, and Janoris Jenkins. All three are in concussion protocol still. We got to be clear. But I think that there is a sense of optimism, Paul, that by the end of the week, hopefully, at least two, if not all of them, could be cleared and ready to go for Sunday's game. Well, the reason you say that is because all three guys have been out on the practice field running around and at least doing something in their shells. You don't get to that level through the multi-step protocol process unless you're getting closer. The problem is that Red Ellison is still on the side with the trainers. And he's the fourth one. He's in the protocol, but as Coach Shermer said today, much less likely that he's going to get cleared at the next level of testing, which is going to be tomorrow on Friday. So take it for what it's worth. Three guys are looking optimistic. One guy, maybe not so much. And, of course, still on the side today. Uh, Disappointing to hear, but Evan Ingram with that sprained foot not working uh, despite the fact that he was really hoping to accelerate his return. Yeah, he spoke to the media earlier in the week, and at that time, Paul, he indicated it was a two- to four-week injury from the get-go. And on Monday, he was two weeks removed from when he suffered the midfoot sprain. But just listening to him at that point when he spoke to the media earlier in the week, I got the sense that the progress he was looking for was to maybe get back out on the field by the latter part of the week. I still he felt mid-week. he was a long shot, though. But did you still get the sense that oh, he yeah. would play he, on Sunday? Because I still got the sense that he was very 50-50 about actually playing. I got the sense that he was hoping against hope that it would be possible. That if he got on the practice field by no later than Thursday, he used the words midweek. To me, midweek is Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, Saturday is late week because you want to go by the NFL practice schedule. Of course. So Wednesday is the first day of actual practice for the next game. So to me, I consider midweek also to be Thursday. He really was crossing every finger and toe that he had to see if that was possible so that it would give him a chance to be considered for the Bears game. Do I think it was a long shot? Yes. I've always thought it was a long shot, but I do believe that he was hoping against hope that it could happen. Uh, without him on the practice field today, I'd say his odds ha- have just decreased immeasurably. Yeah, I would agree with you, and that's the gist of really what the injury report is at this point. Now, that means heading into Sunday's game, well, if you're down Evan Ingram and you're down Red Ellison, Paul, okay, well, what does that mean for the tight end position? Oof. Well, they did bring back Scott Simonson, so mm-hmm. they have him back in the mix. Remember, he was hurt in the final preseason game against the Patriots. He was put on IR. There was an injury settlement, and based on NFL rules, if you have an injury settlement with the team, you then have to wait 
in certain amount of time until you can then re-sign with your original team. So that clock has expired. He's back with the team. They also have Caden Smith on the roster as well. Mm -hmm. But you're not talking about your two most significant receiving threats, I would say, Paul, at the tight end position. And you're going up against the team. We'll get more into the details of what the Bears defense poses. A team that having those additional blockers, having those additional receiving threats, I think is one way to slow down a very ferocious and physical Bears defensive front. Well, another way to do that would be to play a lot more of the fullback. Elijah Penny, you could do that too. Uh, it's it's something we haven't seen the Giants do a lot of, but it would certainly be an option. And let's not forget, uh, Caden Smith is also on yep. the roster as one of the three active tight ends that they'll take into the game. And I know they do like him a lot, uh, even though he hasn't had a whole lot of snaps so far this season. I tend to lean more towards going with Elijah Penny. Uh, if it were me, I, I look, I think the Giants could certainly explore a greater usage of the fullback anyway, regardless of who they're playing on Sunday. I'm with you in terms of creating rushing lanes on the ground. And also, Penny's proven he could catch the ball in the backfield if you needed him to be somewhat of a receiving threat. So it's not as if if you're the Giants and you decided to play Penny, you have to say to yourself, we now have to all of a sudden reconfigure our game plan. And this goes back to something that Pat Shermer has preached time and time again since he took over as the head coach. If you're going to be a fullback on the Giants, you better be able to catch the football, Paul. It's real Mm -hmm. simple. They don't just have you on the roster so you can block. And that goes back to even when Red Ellison was on the Vikings and he was used more as a fullback slash tight end. You know, he always showed the capacity to catch the ball in the backfield. But unfortunately, it looks like they're going to be down him and Evan Ingram. So that's at least a glimpse of the injury report. Now, in terms of the nuts and bolts of the matchup, One of the things I want to throw out here, because I get tired of this storyline. Well, you look at the Bears' offensive numbers, and you say to yourself, the Chicago offense is not lighting up the scoreboard. This is a great matchup for the Giants, right? I mean, how many times have we heard that, Paul, throughout the course of the season? So before we get into the Chicago offensive numbers, let's go back to the Jets. Week 10. This is where the Jets ranked offensively in all of these categories. Why would you do this? Well, I'm not trying to pour salt into the wounds. Especially no, seriously, why would you do I, this? There's a point to this. There's a point to no, this. No, there's no point well, to this. Well, there's an absolute the point The Giants are not playing well enough to whistle past the graveyard of any team well, of in course. the NFL. Yes. It's that simple. But you, you, you don't need to hammer that home. Well, I'm going to hammer it home anyway. So just to appease me here for a Go second. Go ahead. Get your toolbox. Yes, I'll I'm get not my interested. toolbox. All right. Well, you could tune me out, which you normally I'm, do anyway. I'm going to do it. So the Jets' total offense, 32nd. Points per game tied for 31st. Time of possession, 28th. Passing offense, 32nd. Rushing offense, 30th. And now you look at the Bears as you bring up where they rank. Chicago, not much better. 30th total offense, 28th points per game. Okay, 22nd time of possession, 30th in passing offense, and 29th in rushing offense. Now, you laid out my point. You're 100% right. The Giants are in no position to overlook anybody. But the reason I'm emphasizing that again, Paul, is we field phone calls on this show on a daily basis. We interact with individuals on Twitter, and I constantly hear this is a layup line. This should be a winnable game. I'm tired of hearing that. That's why I was emphasizing that. Who tells you that? Well, I'm not saying everybody's telling me that. The interactions I have had with individuals, that has come Boy, up in the, conversation. The bar of your Twitter audience is really low. <laughs> well, hey, if you want to... Really low. If you wanna, and it's already low to begin with well, when that's you consider true. Twitter. Oh, yes, there we go. 
listen, the material you keep throwing out, I got to give you a round of applause. That was you digging deep to originality. Amazing what the bye week has done for you. Go ahead, please. I don't want to interrupt. All right. Yes. Well, to, to, to make something very clear, okay, when we looked at the Giants' schedule at the start of the season and we said to ourselves, all right, is it a hard one? Is it an easy one? Is it a middle-of-the-road one? What are you thinking about? Okay, I will tell you, flat out, and this all changed when they changed the quarterback after week two, and then when the defense continued to have trouble stopping big plays week after week after week. But the original premise, and one that I think the Giants front office had going in when John Mara himself said, we hope Eli has a great year, that means the team's having a great year, and that means we might be talking about competing for a playoff spot in December. Well, if you're going to go by that premise, which I understood, and they needed everything to go right for that to become a reality, you would have said the Giants right now would be a 5-5 five and five team. They would not be 2-8. and eight. They would be 5-5, five and five, and that this Bears game would be a winnable game and one of those teams that you could figure on beating as you became an 8-8 eight and eight team or a 9-7 and seven team at the end of the season. I really believe if you go back to the original blueprint uh, in in the end of August, at the end of August, that that would have been the blueprint. If you're, you're going to say, how do the Giants get to eight and eight, nine and seven? Well, they're going to beat the Jets. They're going to beat the Bears. They're going to beat the Cardinals. They're probably going to beat the Lions. Those teams are going to be part of the formula they're going to need to execute if they're going to be in the playoff conversation. Well, that's not happened now. That entire blueprint has been thrown into the fireplace. So you can no longer look at any of these teams, the Bears included, as a team that you can count on picking up a victory against. You simply can't. And if that's a long, colorful way of saying what you've just said, well, then we are on the same page. Okay, we are on the same page. It took us a while to get there. We took a few laps around the studio, but I'm glad that we have now well, seen I eye to eye Well, I just prefer to put to some logic yeah. behind the statement well, as opposed to just throwing out numbers. Well, the numbers is part of logic and rationale. It can be. It's all in the same family. Okay. Okay? Yes. I'm, I'm glad we have sorted that out. But yes, your point is well taken. And here's the other thing. It has been the get-right game for a lot of struggling offenses when they face the Giants, okay? It has been. The Jets have thrived. The Bears, once again, they're hungry to put together a respectable offensive performance. And here's the thing about Chicago, regardless of their lackluster numbers. They have a lot of versatile guys, Paul, who they can utilize in open space and can get a lot of yak yardage. For example, Tariq Cohen, if you go back to the overtime affair last year, he's still a very dangerous weapon, even though, interestingly, when he went up against the Giants last year, he was averaging about 10 yards per reception. So he was averaging a first down every time he essentially touched the ball as a receiving threat. He killed this him. year. This year, though, he's only averaging just over five yards per oh, reception. Yeah. So, and less than four yards a carry. Yeah, the numbers also, have immensely dipped. But tremendously down. still a guy that is very crafty and could do damage. Taylor Gabriel is another guy who's that jack-of-all-trades type of player. He's somebody to watch out for. Anthony Miller, a wide receiver, has been getting more and more involved in terms of targets in the offense. So they don't have, when you look at this Bears team on paper... They don't amaze you with star-studded names, Paul. They don't amaze you with numbers, but they have a lot of athletes. And if you miss a tackle against these guys, Paul, it'll come back to bite you. So it's a lot of what we've been talking about week in and week out, playing well-disciplined football, playing with good eyes, 
being able to take strong angles. You do that against the Bears, you won't let them get hot. You don't do that against the Bears, Chicago's going to look just like the New York Jets offense did right before the bye. Well, first of all, Tariq Cohen had 12 catches for over 120 yards against the Giants last season. And oh yeah, by the way, he threw a game-tying touchdown pass on the final play of the fourth quarter right here at MetLife Stadium before the Giants won it in overtime. So if any of these guys who were here last year need a wake-up call on Tariq Cohen, then, then, then something's wrong. Because they know firsthand how dangerous he can be and how versatile he can be. Number two, Corderell Patterson is one of the greatest kick returners. I mean, it's funny. They had Devin Hester for years. Corderell Patterson is now over there, too. And, and, you know, despite the fact Hester's been retired for a while, Patterson has inherited that throne. He is the most dangerous kickoff returner right now in this league. And Cohen returns punts. Yeah. As I talked to Michael Thomas, the Giants Pro Bowl special teams cover guy earlier this week, he said, look, as far as we're concerned, and I've told every single guy on my special teams unit about this, it's on us. We are going to be the difference in this game. We have to win on special teams to come out with a victory. And we need to have the mentality that we're going to do that. Because the Bears special teams, their return game, is is really, they're the most potent in the league. Oh, field position is what Michael Thomas is referring to. The last thing you want to do is give a struggling offense great field position. Patterson, to your point, he already returned the touchdown this season against the Saints, 102 yards for a score. We talked about Tariq Cohen. He returns punts as well, so he's extremely dangerous as a special teams guy. Yeah, the Giants are going to have to contain these two guys because the last thing you want to do is hand the Bears offense the ball around midfield and tell them, yeah, just go 50 yards and score a touchdown. And that brings us to the quarterback situation for Chicago. A lot of chatter that with Mitchell Trubisky suffering a hip pointer injury Sunday night against the Rams that he would be on the fence. Well, he was a full participant at practice, Paul, the other day. Mm -hmm. I don't think the Bears released their injury report today or the practice report, so I don't know what his status was today, but I listened to him speak to the media. I listened to what Matt Nagy said the other day and the fact that he was a full participant. Right now, I think it's trending in the right direction that Mitchell Trubisky is probably going to be the starting quarterback for the Bears this Sunday. They have Chase Daniel as their insurance policy, who was the starter last season, but with Trubisky, you have to account for his mobility. Daniel is more of a pocket guy. You don't really have to worry about him running. Trubisky, they'll run read option. They'll allow him to take opportunities up the field, so that creates a little bit more of a different dynamic that the Giants, Paul, were not exposed to last Mm -hmm. season because they went up against Chase Daniel. They did not face Mitchell Trubisky last year. No, but Daniel got sacked five times because he looked a bit overwhelmed. I I don't think he was necessarily as prepared as he wanted to be for the game. And the Giants came after him hot and heavy, and they did a really good job. It It was one of the few games last year where the Giants' pass rush was really effective. Now, this year, they've been middle of the pack for the most part, although the last couple of weeks they haven't got as many hits and sacks as they'd like. But, you know, you would like to believe that they'll be able to do some damage against him. I, I will say this, you know, and, and I know you're going to flip to the Chicago defense in a second, but I'm going to go a little bit ahead of you here. The Giants' pass rush numbers in terms of sacks and quarterback hits is virtually identical to the Chicago Bears. And if you just listen to reputation, you'd think there's no way that's the case. You'd think that Floyd, Trevathan, Mack, my goodness, what a great defense. Oh, they do this. They do that. They can wreck you. Playmakers left and right. Well, their pass rush numbers 
are identical to the Giants. Okay? So as I asked Carl Banks on our MSG First and Ten show, is that more reputation or reality, that Bears pass rush? Because they've been very stout against the run. Don't get me wrong. They're a top ten defense virtually across the board in all the key categories. But when it comes to strictly the pass rush numbers, they have been average. And so, you know, I throw that out there because for all the, the knocks that the Giants have taken, for most of the season, they've had an adequate average pass rush. And what you've seen from the Giants is really the same type of pass rush in terms of effectiveness that the Bears have unleashed. So I don't want people to get too carried away with the reputation of the Bears' pass rush. Don't, don't do it. Well, the Giants have 24 sacks. The Bears have 25, just to use numbers to back up what you're saying. So they're neck and neck in terms of their sacks. And I believe totals. they're also one quarterback hit apart. More than the Giants. Or That's the it. Gi- okay, so 54 there you go. to 53, I believe. Yeah. The numbers are not as astounding as they were last season. Chicago was a much more opportunistic defense, Paul, at this time last year because they met in week 13 last year and now they're meeting in week 12. So if you looked at the numbers coming in, and I actually have those numbers still from last season, it really is night and day in terms of what the Bears posed last season compared to this season. So, you know, last season, you're talking about a Bears defense coming in to play the Giants at this point last year, 34 sacks. Tied for sixth in the NFL this year. I just read you the numbers 25th, tied for 15th. Okay. So, yeah, those numbers have dropped. There's no doubt about it. So going back to something we said several minutes ago, coming into the season, you looked at this Bears team and you said, you know what, that's going to be a beatable team when the Giants play them. But everything's gone so badly wrong for the Giants this year that right now you can't say that about any team. But is this a beatable team? Yeah. Heck, they've lost five out of the last six. Yeah, they've struggled because of the fact that their offense has not been able to meet their defense because their defense has only given up 17 points per game. That's a top-five scoring defense. And they're scoring 17 a game. Well, that's the problem. So they're walking the fine line of any mistakes that the offense makes, now you need your defense to bail you out. So they've put more pressure on the defense this season because of the issues on offense, but here's the other reason why I think the defense is facing more pressure. They had a lot more takeaways last year than they did this year. Now, it's a plus-four turnover differential, which is an extremely respectable number. Remember, the Giants are minus 12, so the Giants are in no position to say, what do you mean, you only have a turnover differential of plus-four? <laughs> However, just to put things in perspective, Paul, the Bears finished with a plus-14 turnover differential last season. They had 36 takeaways. They only have 14 this year. So that's why I said they're not as opportunistic, but... I still respect the Chicago defense. I still think that they can wreak havoc. Khalil Mack's numbers don't jump off the page. He only has five and a half sacks. You know, you throw out a lot of their names. Their secondary is still very much solid. It's a veteran group. You've got Kyle Fuller and Prince of Mucamara, a name that Giants fans are very familiar with. Eddie Jackson is one of their safeties. They brought in HaHa Clinton Dix to replace Adrian Amos. And he is a guy that's a former pro bowler who has two fumble recoveries this season, and then Buster Screen replaced Bryce Callahan at their slot corner. Is he? He's actually having a respectable season, the former Jet and the former Cleveland Browns cornerback. So, you know, all of those guys I named, they're all veterans. It's not as if the Bears are relying on some unknown guy or no. some young guy. You know, Look, I'm sure after being a playoff team last year, 
the people in Chicago are extremely disappointed oh, with, where, yeah. with where this team is. Absolutely. And, and basically it's because their offense continues to sputter along and their defense is not as dominant as they once were. It's really that simple. Well, and that's why I think if you go back to 2018, Paul, my biggest takeaway was the offense struggled in 2018. A little bit more productive than it was right now. But the defense, the ability to take the ball away, score touchdowns off those takeaways, help mask their offensive shortcomings. Now you don't have nearly as many defensive touchdowns. You don't have nearly as many takeaways. You now need your offense to produce more. The offense is not doing that. And that's why this is a team more around 500 than they were last year when we were talking about a 12-win team or so. So that's how the dynamics of the Bears have changed. But to me, it gets back to what you and I were talking about earlier. Do not give the Bears gifts in field position because that's a great advantage for a struggling offense. And once again... You could say this about every game, and it sounds like a broken record. You have to protect the football because that's what has been the Achilles heel, Paul, of the Giants. I don't care what opponent it's been. Minus 12 turnover differential. You've got multiple fumbles that have been returned for touchdowns in the last few weeks. You you can't do that, especially against the Chicago Bears team that would take that and say, thank you very much. We're going to walk into the end zone, and we're going to take pressure off of our offense. So, you know, those to me are the two keys going into a game like this. I have no problem with what you just said. I'll say this, okay? If the Giants play clean football, if they don't turn the ball over and they limit their penalties, they certainly have enough of ability on offense, even with the guys who may not play, to win this game. They do. Because I just don't think that Chicago offensively is going to be able to take enough of advantage of the mistakes and, and the missteps that the Giants' defense has made to outscore the Giants. But you've got to play sound, clean, fundamental football and basically suffocate the Bears into a situation where they're just not going to be able to do enough offensively to win. It's, it, the game plan is not hard, and in reality, it should not be that difficult to do. But we've seen how many times the Giants' plans have, have gone aside into, into the gutter because they wound up doing a bunch of things that they shouldn't do. Yeah. The Bears have scored 20 or less points in each of their last four games. They've, you know, they've had one pass play this year over 40 yards. Well, one. I, that's not surprising based one. on how limited the scoring has been. Yeah. It, <laughs> this, this is a very beatable team. Well, and once again. By I most teams in the league. That. I would agree with that, correct, based on your premise of... Most teams. However, the Giants have given up a lot of explosive plays. Giants Paul. prove it. That's yeah. what it comes it, it, down to. Show me time. Giants prove it. Yeah. Show us that you can take advantage of a team that is struggling offensively. That's the big thing here for the Giants. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Let's open up the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Just a reminder, it's brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience. Courtesy of Coors Light, text VIP to 90464 for more details. We've got Joe in Pennsylvania. He starts us off on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Joe? What's happening? Let's go Giants. This is a, a new season now. We got our break. You know what I mean here? We have time to catch our breath and look at all our goofy mistakes and whatnot we've been doing. You know, let, let's have a disciplined game this 
time, can we? If receivers are running free and, uh, you know, we're, they're, they're running stunts on us again and, and we're lost and just getting beat, I'm going to be very upset. If we get beat by, okay, because they were better than us, okay, but they better they had plenty of time to know their book. This happened, uh, let's see, when we played Thursday night against the uh, uh, Cowboys, and I forget who we played oh, next. Yeah, the Monday night and, game against the Cowboys you're talking about. Or uh, Monday night, night, but then, hold, no, I, or was it Monday? I thought we played a Thursday night. Yeah, the Patriots, Patriots, Patriots game was a Thursday night The Patriots night was game. a Thursday night. Cowboys was Monday And, and I'll tell you, to be perfectly frank with you, think of, of how positive – the Giants' fan base felt after that loss to the Patriots because they had shown they could play with New England down by a touchdown after three quarters. Right there in that game, had done so many things well to stifle Brady and end that offense. And then in the fourth quarter, they wore down. They got beat. And since that time, I have to, I have to say, to be totally honest, fellas, it's just been disappointment after disappointment. They haven't played to that level that they did against New England once since that game. Well, they better play discipline and know their assignments because I'd be very upset. Lance, you and John were talking the other day. I didn't get to chime in. on. You were running down all the offensive stats and the defensive stats when we ranked and what's causing all that. And, And you know what I mean, time of possession and where we are in scoring and everything. You know, we're we're at the bottom of the chart on everything and turnovers. And I think the main thing or it comes down to simple again is running the football and, and stopping the run. My gosh, look at what the Jets with four guys they had up there that they controlled our, our line of scrimmage there and stopping the run. Uh, really, we got to be able to run the ball a little bit. And that's putting – Daniel Jones, we're always down by 14 or something like that, having to throw the ball, and they disrespect our runner. Just four guys can handle it, and everybody else is back there, and they can blitz when they want to sneak up on us. That's the main thing. We just got to be able to run the football. I don't know where you come up with all the numbers, pro football focus, and that. Our offensive linemen, where are they rank in blocking? You know what I mean? Who, who are, are we so weak that five, six of us with tight ends and that can handle four guys up front to get a few yards here and there with, with, with the running back we have? What, what, what's the story there? Joe, look, just to put it simply, over the last month or so, the offensive line has had its problems. They came out well that first month of the season. I thought they were at least at least middle of the pack, if not better, since that time, they have had their troubles. Yeah. There's yeah, no question. Well, it, uh, well who, uh, why is it so short? Now, the guy that filled in last week or so, they said he did a decent job, so that's Well, good, you're talking you about know. Nick Gates at right tackle. Yeah, yeah. Nick Gates. What, now, was he doing a better job at run blocking or so than um, uh, who's, who's the guy that got hurt? Well, Saquon us? Barkley had... 13 carries in one yard. So, I mean, well, to say anybody well, okay. did well, that, to say anybody did I'm a saying. greater How job. Four guys dominating us up front. And then you have seven back there for the pass or they can sneak blitz in on us anytime. That's the problem. We should be able to run on four up front. 
And the same thing. I want our defense to be like that. With them mules we have up front, I want our four guys up front to be ha- handling well, the, it like the Giants, the, the Giants' rush defense, and appreciate the phone call, Joe. Thanks so much for weighing in. Uh, did a good job against the Jets. I mean, the Jets didn't pound the football. No. Both teams struggled. So, you know, that to me is not necessarily a huge issue. Yes, there's been some games this season where you look at Ezekiel Elliott, you look at what the Cardinals did on the ground, the Vikings with Dalvin Cook. It's been up and down. But the Jets game, the Giants were solid in terms of stopping the running containing Bell. So that, to me, is not a big concern. Yes, Paul, absolutely. The Giants need to rush the football better. I mean, they've dropped now. You know, this was a team that was averaging over 100 yards per game, and now they're at 94, tied for 12. Their yardage per carry has gone down from over 5 yards per carry to now 4.4. I read you what Barkley did against the Jets. Yeah, I mean, that to me is the best way to protect your quarterback and also set up manageable third downs, which has also been an issue for the Giants this season. I think the only thing I'd want to add, and I want to correct Joe here, he said the Jets stopped the Giants' run game all day with four. That's not true. The Jets were blitzing a lot. They were sending their backers. They were sending Jamal Adams. Yeah, he was the all over the blitz. Place. I mean, they were filling gaps with a fifth and sixth and seventh defender uh, a lot in that game. I don't have the numbers for you offhand. I, I, you know, put it this way, okay? The Giants' tendencies and the stats prove it out. I'm not telling you anything you probably don't know. The Giants prefer to run the ball straight ahead more than they want to run the ball outside. That's just the way the facts are. I'm not telling you, you know, again, anything that's a surprise. I'm not giving away a scouting report. The numbers show that the Giants tend to run the ball between the guards more than any other place when they take it downfield. So what happens? Teams decide they're going to just send extra guys into the A-gap between the center and the guard, and when they blitz, they're going to send those guys straight up into the gut, and they're going to force Barkley to run into a brick wall. What was the number that I saw on 13 of those carries? 11 times he was hit behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, you Well, know. how about this? 17 carries as a team in the Jets game. They only had 23 yards. Nine of those 17 carries were runs for no gain or negative yards. So I mean, whether it was Barkley or not, I, I mean, that says a lot. Sure it does. You had a negative four run, a negative three run, a negative two run, a negative one run, and five runs for no game. But rather than talk about that Jets game, we really need to be talking about what's going to happen with the Bears because he is right about one thing. The Giants do need to pound the ball against Chicago, and that's got to be a willpower kind of thing where every one of those guys needs to know man-on-man, hat-on-hat, and I'm going to drive-block him backwards. That, it's a mentality. Yeah, 100%. But the Bears have a respectable rushing defense. They're eighth in the league. So, I get that. you know, you're going up against a challenging front. You're going up against a physical front. And, you know, what has happened in the last few matchups, Paul, when they've gone up against, I don't want to say all pro caliber pass rushers, but at least a team that's got one guy. Chandler Jones wrecked the game, right? Late. Is that fair? Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Trey Flowers wrecked the game. Mm-hmm. I would say that now you got Khalil Mack. So we've been even with the Cowboys. You can argue, you know, Michael Bennett teed off late. Robert Quinn. So th- the problem with the Giants is they've been challenged by solid pass rushers, and by the time you get to the fourth quarter, those guys have wreaked havoc and made a lot of noise and have added the exclamation point. Uh, what what did the great Khalil Mack do in that game last year? I'm just asking. 
I'd have to go back and look off the top of my head. I did not go back to. Oh no, I. I you know I, I, what oh, he did? Oh, 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 I okay. can tell you, he was really a non-factor in the game. Just, just, just FYI. Well, I mean, the Giants had some big explosive plays in that game. Okay. Odell Beckham had the pass play, if memory serves me correctly. Khalil, Khalil Max line was uh, five tackles. He did have one sack. Okay. It was it was for him a quote pedestrian game. He did not wreck the game. I'm just saying. Yeah. He doesn't have to wreck the game. No, he doesn't. He hasn't really wrecked many games this year. Well, I said he only had five and a half sacks, but the Bears also are the type of team where they're relying on Matt getting double and triple team this season to open up opportunities for guys like Leonard Floyd and some of their other players up front. So the question is, even if you do focus your attention on Khalil Mack, and when Mike Shula, by the way, spoke to the media today, you know, he chuckled because he knows he's stating the obvious. He said, yeah, that's a guy we got to pay close attention to. So then the question becomes, Paul, so let's say you take care of business against Mack and you put all your attention there and you chip and you block, however you want to go about it. Are you now on the opposite side winning your one-on-one battles with Leonard Floyd? You know, that to me is the biggest question. Because that's half the battle. Half the battle is to keep Matt quiet. Okay, now can you contain Leonard Floyd on a one-on-one matchup? Because we've seen this season, guys are not winning their one-on-one battles. And as a result, you know, the opposing defense is getting those sacks late in games. I mean, look at the Jets game. Fair enough. So I that- mean, look, uh, here's the thing. The blueprint to win this game isn't very hard to construct. It's all about getting it done. Execute. Just do it. Just do it. You you have the bodies and the talent to win this game, the blueprint is not hard. Sometimes the blueprint is hard. The blueprint is not hard this week. But you've got to go out there and do it. 201-939-4513. Marcel is in South Jersey. Marcel, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hi, guys. First time caller, long-time listener. Hello. The show. Well, thanks for tuning um, in. The, uh, the, the couple quick points that I wanted to hit on is, is that uh, everybody wants to run Pat Shermer out the uh, – out of the out of the off the team, and he kind of reminds me of um, Tom Coughlin when they, you know, when he finally adjusted at off season and eased up. Um, I'm looking for Pat Shermer to to take this uh, bye week and kind of look at like, all right, I need to go back and look at the things that I might not have been doing right. Um, I had a chance to to watch some NFL Network, and they were talking how in Baltimore they kind of basically tailored. Uh, the offense behind Armies and Wake Forest's offense because they went down there and they talked to the coaches. Um, I'm not saying that they have to do that for Saquon Barkley, but it'd be nice for them to take a couple pages out of James Franklin's playbook, possibly. Um, and to speak on your point about uh, the blueprint to the game, uh, it, it's absolutely true, is running the football. But the question is, is like you guys said with the turnover battle, is when you get that turnover – and I've noticed, I noticed it at the Detroit game when we got that turnover, we didn't do anything with it. Instead of going for it on fourth down because it's kind of like an extra series or extra possession, I would have rather seen Pat Shermer go for it to say, all right, listen, I trust my offense to put up points. Like, that's the type of gusto that I don't see from Shermer. And I'm hoping that, you know, eventually, you know, sooner than later, he says, like, all right, I, I have no, you know, risk it, no biscuit type deal. <laughs> Uh, for lack of better terms. Um, I'm really looking forward to the game. Do you guys know if there's going to be inclement weather? No, it's supposed to be uh, mid-30s and clear. All right, because I was thinking they have they have kicking trouble. So oh, they do. So if we can put the pressure on them by getting up and getting some points and possibly having their kicker, 
have to kick a late tying field goal or a go ahead field goal. That's our path to possibly winning. Well, in fairness, in fairness, Marcel, the Giants have also had their fair share of kicking issues too over the last few weeks. So you know, if you want to pinpoint the Bears' troubles, you've had you know extra point issues, and then Rosas missed the field goal. So I mean, I would say both teams right now don't want any bad weather because both teams have yet to prove consistency in the kicking game. You know, the Giants are, are, are there are only five teams in this league that have fewer takeaways than the Giants' defense does. So, you know, I, you could say all you want about, you know, Pat Shermer's offensive philosophy following a turnover, but they're not getting a whole ton of turnovers to begin with. So I don't know that that's really a relevant point, to be honest. Well, the bottom line is, and Marcel, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for chiming in, is you got to be able to do something with the takeaways. That's my bigger point. Well, sure you do, but and, they're not uh, getting enough takeaways to begin with. Well, but even the limited ones that they've had, they're not capitalizing on. I, I think that's the way that I view the takeaways. And John and I had this conversation in great detail on Monday. You know, takeaways are great. Time of possession is great. I, I'll rehash what I said. But, Paul, if you don't do anything with it, it's a meaningless, irrelevant statistic. So you took the ball away 12 times. Okay, show me what you did with him. Did you return it for a touchdown? Did you get into the red zone and score? Or did you settle for field goals? And, you know, that to me is what the Giants need to start doing. Even with the limited opportunities, they have to be able to punch it in. As far as the, you know, creativity or welcoming in other ideas on offense the caller brought up the Baltimore Ravens you know Greg Roman is the Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator he was with San Francisco he worked with Alex Smith he worked with Colin Kaepernick he's worked with other mobile quarterbacks so while yes they may have talked to some other college coaches to me the reason why Lamar Jackson is thriving is your offensive coordinator in Baltimore has worked with a lot of mobile quarterbacks who were good runners, and I think that is why Baltimore is clicking. I don't think it's so much as, you know, John Harbaugh and Greg Roman met with a few college coaches, and then they snapped their fingers, and now everything is clicking. It's more of the experience of the OC, and Shermer has been with a variety of quarterbacks. He's been with a variety of offenses. To say that they need to consult James Franklin and what Penn State did to get Saquon Barkley going, I, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Barkley had success last season. And to me, it starts and ends with the blocking in the trenches and the execution. And it just has not been as consistent this season. Let's head back to the phone lines. Jay is in Charleston. Jay, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hey, what's going on, guys? How you doing? Doing all right, Jay. What's on your mind? Hey, um, I just wanted to ask a question and state uh, something about Dave Gettleman. But my first question is, uh, is it not a, a way to get Saquon Barkley the ball in space, uh, more unique ways to get Saquon Barkley the ball? I mean, if you look at the Saints, the way they use, especially last year, the way they used Alvin Kamara, and the Panthers, the way they used Christian McCaffrey, I mean, why don't we use Saquon Barkley a little more like that? One game early in the season, I think against the Cowboys, it was the first game of the season, Eli Manning was playing um, – Saquon Barkley ran like a wheel route from the backfield, and instead of Eli Manning throwing it out in front of him where he could run underneath it and catch it and get some yards, he throws it in the flat, like right where Saquon Barkley is standing. And so Saquon Barkley, right when he was about to throw it, he was about to take off, like give it to me downtown. And he, for whatever reason, Eli Manning threw it behind him. Like, is there? Can we not find it? Is it uh, the offensive line? Like, do we not have a good offensive line for it? Like, do we not have any other ways to get Saquon Barkley, Saquon Barkley the ball in space more efficiently and more unique? 
Well, they ran the screenplay against the Cowboys where he picked up uh, over 60 yards. So, you know, that was one way they got him out in open space. There was a play against the Lions where, you know, he ran a slant and unfortunately, you know, bobbled the ball a little bit. Probably could have gained even more, if you recall, on that play. And he sort of tripped up on his own footing. So that's another play to me that comes to mind where they got him out in open space. You referred to the wheel route. If memory serves me correctly, when they played the Texans last year, a game they won on the road, Barkley was the one that converted a big wheel route on a third down where Eli threw it up to him and he made the play on a defensive back. So I think that they've picked their points to try to emphasize Saquon Barkley as a receiver. I don't think that they haven't done, you know, anything. Could they do more? Absolutely. I I mean, given the fact that, you know, the offense wants some injection of consistency, I I would agree with you. But I I think they're trying to pick their points to capitalize on his ability. I think sometimes it's the defense that's honed in on him. And and you got to look at it from that standpoint. Listen, most teams right now, they go up against the Giants. Remember, the Giants have had a variety of different wide receivers in the lineup. Evan Ingram's been in and out of the lineup. And Barkley himself has been in and out of the lineup. But when Barkley's been healthy, and Barkley's admitted this when he spoke to the media, they have stacked the box. They've basically said, Daniel Jones is going to have to beat us because we're not going to allow Saquon Barkley to beat us. So I think a lot of that is the defense is saying, we're not going to allow the Giants to get creative with Saquon Barkley because we're going to have a lot of attention his way. And that's why Daniel Jones has had to involve the Darius Slaytons and so forth. And to his credit, they've made some plays, and they're going to have to continue to do that. It's funny because Saquon Barkley just talked at his locker right before we started this program, and he laughed at the, at the notion that so many people criticized Eli Manning for dumping the ball down to him when he had 91 receptions last year. And now Barkley is getting questions, and so is Pat Shermer, about why isn't Saquon Barkley catching more balls? And what, what is part of the reason? Well, because uh, the Giants are going more downfield. Daniel Jones is throwing the ball more downfield. He's looking for Slayton downfield. Yeah. He, you know, he's looking for Tate. He's looking for Ingram. And Barkley's like, yeah, okay, you, you see the problem here? They, 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 they ripped into Eli for getting the ball to me, you know, when we had the opportunity to get the checkdowns. And now people are saying, well, why aren't we getting the ball to me in the, on, on the short-range stuff anymore? And so it's laughable how the critics quickly forget what it is that they criticized yesterday because they got to find something new to criticize today. And appreciate the phone call, Jay. Thanks so much for weighing in here. 201-939-4513. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here. Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's head back to the lines. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. Len, what's happening? Hey, guys. How are you doing? New York Giants versus Chicago Bears. Oh, my goodness. Anybody that's got a sense of history and is interested in the history, the 100-year history of the NFL, which they're playing up, I suspect that there will be a lot of references to this on the TV broadcast on, on Sunday. This is, this is just, a, just a great rivalry, and it's probably one of those early rivalries that, um, you know, without the Giants and the Bears, the league never would have made it. Yeah, You're right. Two original never, teams. Yeah. Never would have made it. And you know what's really fun for me, Len? When when I see these two teams play and they've got the old style uniforms on, you know it was yeah. a little different when when the Sims and Taylor Giants played the Bears and they had the Giants on the helmet. Yeah. I I always wanted to see the NY on the helmet because that to me harkened back to the nostalgia that you're talking about. Yes, wow, they're just just some 
Yeah, you know, you don't have to go back very far, but I mean, when you start getting back into the 60s and the 50s, even, even, you know, the Parcells, the 80s, and, the, you know, going into Chicago in the playoffs and the Landetta miss with the punt, just some great moments in this rivalry that, uh, I mean, without this rivalry, you don't have a league. Hey, let me, let me, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to the game from, from that, from, you know, from that standpoint. Kind of, uh, just, just honoring these, these two great, great franchises and, and, and the history of the game. I'm trying to take it in this year, trying to take it in. Um, you know, uh, here's, here's a number for you. You, you guys have kind of, uh, skirted around this a little bit in in your um, you know in your talk today. Not that you've done anything wrong, but last Sunday night, you know, I watched a little bit of the game. I didn't watch much, and I haven't gone back and looked at the tape. But I did look at let me call it the box score. I, I did look at the box score. I, Khalil Mack played, I think, fifty plays. He had nothing across the board. He had he didn't even have an unassisted tackle. You, I mean, you don't have to be Khalil, Khalil Mack. You play 50 plays on defense, you think by accident you would get credit for an assistant tackle. What, is any, what did the Rams do? Well, uh, he's getting double and triple teamed a lot this season. Uh, teams are trying to take him out of the game. I mean, that's 47 what's happening. snaps. 47 snaps, and he was shut out. 47 snaps. Okay. What I say? I said 50. Yeah, 47 snaps. And he got shut out? Yeah, there's nothing. I mean, that's amazing. All right, so, you know, it's the Belichick thing. Take the best player out of the game. I guess that's how you do it. You well, know, you block yeah, them and let the other guys it. beat us. You know, you heard Lance uh, I say... Whether, I don't know whether we can do that or not, but um, Lance, I just I looked at it and I said, no, no, that's got to be a misprint. You heard Lance you know, say he's can, only got five and a half sacks on the season, and I can tell you right now from looking at his game-by-game log... Uh, he's been shut out six times from the sack column. Wow, I know. Wow, I know. Yeah, well, well, maybe the thinking. You know? I, I'm maybe it's an off year too. But I, I like Lance's, uh, you know, answer maybe a little better. Teams are just saying, okay, if we can get him, you know, he's the game changer. If, yeah. if we can neutralize him. Uh, we can we can beat the rest of that defense. I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how they play it on Sunday. Listen. Um, you guys have been talking about the run game, and I agree with everything that you said about what we got to do Sunday. All the callers have, uh, you know, and uh, you know, frustration from Joe about, uh, you know, why couldn't we run against the Jets and so forth. And I, I know this is getting old, and I know you're going to say, oh, here we go, here, here, here's Len again. Here's, look, guys, when you play a three-four defense, Lance, you know where I'm going with this. You got to get the nose tackle blocked. If you can't, if that Goldman, he's a good player. He is a good player, yeah. If, if he starts pushing our center, whoever it is on Sunday, if he starts pushing that center back into the backfield one-on-one, we're dead in the water. We're going to be talking on Monday morning, Lance, or Monday afternoon, Lance. We're going to be talking about what's wrong with Saquon. It must be the ankle. It's, yeah, his ankle must be. He's not the same player. Joe, if you listen, the key is get the note. We haven't done well against three, four teams. I think that's another historical trend that we could look at. The last four or five years, we have not played well against three, four teams. But Mm -hmm. this week, um, I, I think it's wrapped up in that matchup. If we, yeah. I, I mean, Mac and Floyd and, and the other guys are, are, are going to go crazy. Uh, we got to do a decent job on Goldman. 
Sorry to bore you with no, the, it, it, there's the over validity and, to sorry that. Sorry to right? bore you with the over and over no. stuff, but that's the key to the running game. And it looks like Calapio will be the center, by the way. I mean, he's been it back in be, practice. It, it will be, Paul. Yeah. Well, he's been yeah, back okay, in practice. Good. He's yeah, been back yeah, in the mix. Yeah, I mean, the so. guys worked hard, and uh, you know, he got back from this little injury thing. He deserves to get the starting, the, you know, the starting job back again, and uh, you know, hopefully he can, hopefully he can handle that guy. All right, hey, I'm looking forward to Sunday. Like somebody said, I forget what caller it was. You know, new season, everybody's excited, and I'm right in there with them. Let's go, Giants. Let's let's come on. Let's win a football game, especially against the Chicago Bears. All right, Len. Hey, thanks for taking the call. Appreciate the phone call. I hate right. to ruin his day, but the Giants are averaging 3.3 yards per carry when running the ball directly up the middle. Not working out so well. Yeah, but I, I think there is some validity behind the fact that, you know, pressure from the interior off the opposition has wreaked some havoc. And that's also, I think, allowed some of these edge rushers to get home because if you're not protecting the interior of the pocket— it collapses, and then all of a sudden, you know, late in games, Chandler Jones, Trey Flowers, all these other guys that we talked about, and even Jamal Adams to a certain degree, are finding crevices and ways to write games. Uh, by the way, you know, another name that we didn't throw out, Roy Robertson-Harris, who is a starting defensive end for the Bears because Akeem Hicks has been placed on IR this season. You know, he's another guy that has capitalized off of the attention that Khalil Mack has received. So, you know, all of these other names that may not appear to be Pro Bowl household guys, you got to be careful and you got to be cautious about because the Bears' mentality this season has been, you could try to take Khalil Mack out of the game. We're going to then hope to capitalize on our one-on-one battles. And I would not sleep on the Bears' defense, regardless of whether or not their numbers are not in sync with where they were last season. Let's head back to the lines and we check in with Merrill, who's in Manchester, New Jersey. Merrill, what's happening? Uh, gentlemen, thanks for taking my call, number one. Number two, Hi. appreciate the job you guys do. You're kind. Well, thanks for tuning in. I have a couple of comments that require a little bit of backfeed here. I watched Saquon Barkley all through college. And you compare him to any of the big running backs of the NFL years ago. And he's doing a great job. You've got to give him the first two or three yards with a little hole. There's got to be a little hole for him to run through if you're going straight up the middle. Once you do that, he's a freight train. Another thing, we have an offensive coordinator. Why is your, uh, Pat Sherman, Sherma, uh, making all the calls? Well, it's Thank no, you. no, like you, okay, Merrill. Like well, Thank you. we appreciate the phone call, Merrill. Thanks so much for the phone call. I mean, this has been a topic we've delved into multiple times, Paul, on this show about, you know, Pat Shermer. He's the head coach. Why does he also call the plays? First of all, he's not the only head coach in the NFL that does both jobs. Do. So, 14 of yeah, them do. it's not as if Shermer's on an island. He was asked a lot about that during the bye week and made it very clear that he is not giving up play calling. And part of his rationale was. The offense is moving the football, and they've been able to put points on the board. Haven't been able to always close out games strongly, but he feels as if they're doing enough on offense that there's no reason for him to surrender the play calling. This is another thing that I threw out. The whole point of them hiring Pat Shermer was because of what he did in his previous stint, specifically with the Vikings. And if you bring in a coach, and part of the appeal, Paul, is him as a play caller, then what is the purpose of him then coming to your team and then saying, here... The responsibility that I did elsewhere, I'm now giving it to another guy. 
So that, I think, is another part of the reason why he's in no position to give up the play calling. And that's something that, once again, I I don't see changing. Mike Shula, to the caller's point, is the offensive coordinator. He's also the quarterback's coach. Mike Shula called plays for the Carolina Panthers during their Super Bowl run. He's got more than enough experience to take on that role. But Pat Shermer is going to be the play caller moving forward. And I don't see those dynamics, Paul, changing at all. There's been no indication that they're going to head in a different direction. It certainly won't change this season. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a conversation maybe for a later time, but... Uh, no substance or validity behind uh, any of the rumors and, and so forth. As far as the first caller's point about opening up holes up the gut, yeah, the whole goal when you have a guy like Saquon Barkley, Paul, is get him to the second layer of the defense because once he gets to the second layer of the defense and he's going to have those matchups against linebackers and secondary players, you'll take your chances for Saquon Barkley to win those battles. The problem the Giants have been running into, as you mentioned with the yardage per carry when they run up the gut, is he can't get to the second layer of the defense. So if he can't get to the second layer of the defense, he's in no position for those sometimes favorable one-on-one matchups. Again, I don't don't want to belabor this point, but there, there are some things they could try, including using Penny Moore at fullback. I mean, the fullback can help you out in a lot of ways. He can go out and catch passes. He can help plow a lane for Barkley. Uh, He can also help in pass protection because if you have a two-back set, maybe Barkley goes out and runs into the flat and takes a defender with him. And then if somebody is coming through and gets past your line or a blitzer happens to be coming in, Penny can pick him up. Yeah, he could serve as I mean, to me, that would certainly be one of the options if you needed to change things up. 201-939-4513. Don is in Texas. He joins us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Don? Hey, how you doing, Lance? How you doing, P-Dot? Hi, right, Don. What's on your mind? Uh, all right. I'm going to go over a couple things, guys. I know it's the end of the show, so I'll be a little bit quick. Personally, I would rather see uh, Trubisky than Daniels. That's just my personal opinion. Daniels seems to be a little bit more accurate, and they got a bunch of playmakers that you can't fall asleep on. They're pretty good, so you got to watch out for them. They do have um, some speed, I'll tell you that. They sure do, P-Dot. And what I'm looking for, and P-Dot, I spoke to you and Russ about it a couple weeks ago, what would it take for Shermer to be not the coach next year? And you said something catastrophic, and, then, and I'm just quoting you. Right. I, I am personally of the belief, and I think you know this already, I'm, I'm not a believer that he's going to be back next year. If he is, okay, if he is, I am looking for something in the last six games of the season. There, there's a couple things that's showing me that there will be improvement. Now, in my opinion, the team is not progressing. Therefore, they're regressing. And how they come out in the first quarter of every game is a telltale sign that, one, they're ill-prepared, or two, they're not motivated, ready to go. Could you imagine a boxer coming out in the first round not ready? They can get dropped right in the first round. I want to see that in the first quarter of the last six games. And second, I want to see less big plays like you guys discuss over and over. And that will tell me there seems to be some improvement. However, I believe, PDOT, it will be catastrophic if that continues. Well, it's a fluid situation. There's no question that the Giants front office is trying to gauge where this team is and where they are going. And, you know, the opinion is always going to change based on how fluid the results are and how that new information becomes available and then is calculated into the equation. I think Pat Shermer himself said to the media today, coaching... Is, is a patient kind of thing. As you're trying to build a winner, you have to stay the course. I'm paraphrasing. You have to stay the course, 
Go with what you believe in. Understand you've got young players. You know, you've got to teach these guys what to do. You're going to have to continue to teach and teach and teach. And hopefully things will work out. But as the coach also said himself, the bottom line are the results. And as coaches, we're in the game to win. So, you know, I don't think anybody is, is playing with the facts or playing with the truth here. Coach Shermer understands how he's going to be judged and graded, as does everybody else. And what it comes down to is until the season is over and the completed process is in for the season, and then obviously that'll be two years in the books, to make any concrete judgments today would really be unfair and inaccurate because none of us truly know what's going to happen in the next six games. And I think even you've admitted that. Agreed. Absolutely, Dot. I would like to see before the season ends also, and then I'll take the answer off the air, guys, is I would like to see them develop an identity, some form of identity. Show me something, guys. All right. Have a good day, guys. All right, Don. Appreciate the call. I mean, I disagree with the point that they're not motivated to play at the beginning of games. First of all, if you need motivation to go out there and play a game, you don't belong in the National Football League, Paul. That's just my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. They're paid professional athletes. This is their job. They're supposed to go out there. That doesn't mean that they're going to succeed every time they go out there. But if you're going to tell me that you need a head coach to bang his head against the wall to get you nuts to go out and play a game, I just don't buy that. I don't think well. that's why they've gotten off to slow starts. And in five of the last six games, they have trailed by double digits before they've even put a point on the board. So that has been a trend. But I don't think it's because Pat Shermer is not motivating them enough. Let me make something very, very, very clear. Everybody is being watched closely. I mean, as much as the caller wants to say, you know, you want to watch the team in general to see how the coach is getting the team to respond and how the coach is getting the team to improve its play. Well, every single player is being graded very carefully too because regardless of what you may or may not think they should do with the coaching staff, there are players on this roster who, if they don't show a reason to be back next year, they won't be back. Yeah, or they're scheduled free agents. It, I mean, the contract is expiring. You know, when when a team is doing what the Giants are doing, and they're putting this on tape right now and struggling as they are, just as what we've seen over the last two seasons prior to this, there will be overturn, or should I say turnover? Turnover, yes. <laughs> Flip that around. There will be an overturned roster. Okay, there you or go. Or a that turned was, over roster. That actually works both ways, doesn't it? It, it does to a certain degree. <laughs> I'll give you the brownie points for a recovery there. Just trying to hold it on to the wiggled out of that one, yes. But, but that's the point, okay? That's the point. If it's a production-oriented business, well, that means anybody who is not getting it done, players included, is going to be subject to some type of action, which may mean you're not here. Yeah, I, all players, all coaches are being put under the microscope. I, I think you could say that for most coaching staffs, whether you're a 500 team, you're a below 500 team. I think most people understand who have been in the industry. As far as the takeaway for the final six games, yeah, I don't know necessarily if you need bold statements to be made. I, I think you want to see consistency out of this group. I think you want to see the turnovers be cleaned up. You know, those are the types of signs of progression that you want to see. But here's the one thing I will point to. Don't think that just because you see things in the last three or four games that that then is indicative of what is going to then kick off 2020. 
one of the falsehoods to me in football on any level is that how you finish one season is an indication of how you start the other. And we get caught up in, well, you know, if they have a strong finish, then this is going to be something they're going to carry over months upon months later after they go through OTAs, the roster changes. You're convinced that how they play in Week 17 is going to indicate what they're going to do in Week 1. I just I don't buy in to that narrative. I'm not saying that anybody's wrong for holding on to that. I just don't think that it's proven consistently over NFL time in which how you play in week 17, then you just carry it over and take it into you with week one. So yeah, you want to see signs of progress. But remember, if Shermer comes back, he may be well working with a roster that looks somewhat differently, Paul, than how it looks like right now because of your point. That roster's no turnover. No so, doubt. So that gets back to my premise of, okay, so if you see some things, if you see an identity to the caller's point, there's no guarantee that a lot of those guys that they're building that identity with are going to be back on the roster again next year. So I just don't know how much you can truly take away from these next six I games. close I with a final point. thought. Yeah. At the end of the 2014 season, the Giants and Eli Manning made a statement game when they beat the Dallas Cowboys at the end of that season after Eli, who had come in for Kurt Warner, had lost every prior start. But then Eli, as a young player, made a statement game and said, you guys are going to hear from me. I'm stepping up. He made that statement. At the following year, the Giants were 11-5 and five and went to the playoffs. That's what you so the want two, to this see. Is the 2004, season. 2004 okay, to I the you 2014. That's why. No, 2004 okay. to, Four 2005. to 2005. Gotcha. The one thing you can see, and the carryover you can see, is when these younger players, these first or second year players, are able to have a statement game that says, "You know what? I'm not that newbie anymore. I'm not that guy who's apt to make those mental mistakes anymore." I've arrived, I'm a player, I'm reaching my potential, I am what you thought I was going to be, I am what you drafted me for, and it starts now. When you see those young players make statement games at the end of a season, that's important because now that's something that you might be able to hang your hat on going into the next season as a player. Yeah, more of Not an individual basis. as a team, yeah. but as a player. That's what you want to see out of some of these young players in the next few weeks. I think that carries more weight than uh, the team takeaway. Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience. Courtesy of Coors Light, text VIP to 90464 for more details. All right, that's going to wrap things up for us here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Once again, a reminder, if you subscribe to the Giants Audio Podcast, please note beginning December 1st, Big Blue Kickoff Live will have its own dedicated podcast. You can begin subscribing now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. Again, starting December 1st, Big Blue Kickoff Live will no longer be available in the Giants Audio Podcast. Please subscribe to the Big Blue Kickoff Live Podcast. You can still watch or listen to the show, of course, on Giants.com and the Giants app. So we're not going anywhere. It's just you got to look for a certain category on the podcast that you subscribe to. With that being said, appreciate everybody for tuning in. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday, and as always, stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.